Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on June 10th of 2018 under the headline, The Nest of Anarchists at the White Eagle Saloon. Here we go. The White Eagle Saloon on Russell Street in East Portland has its share of colorful rumors and claims of ghostly presences. There was a bordello upstairs, one claims. An opium den in the basement, whispers another. Oh, oh, and see that doorway there? The one that looks like the lid of a coal chute? That's a secret shanghaiing tunnel to the waterfront. Oh, did you hear that? A soft, ghostly step from the spirit of a murdered hooker on the second floor. And holy crow, the toilet at the end of the hall just flushed itself. All this, of course, is straight hokum. Fun hokum, but hokum just the same. But the most interesting story about the White Eagle is absolutely true and serious as a heart attack. It attracted nationwide attention to Portland in general and the White Eagle in particular, and not the good kind of attention either. Possibly, if not probably, it involved international espionage. The case came to the attention of the Portland public on June 20th of 1906 when they opened their newspapers to a story headlined, Marked for Death. It seemed that a Polish gentleman named Henry Lepaski had gone to the police in a great state of alarm. He had, he said, just been given 72 hours' notice of his upcoming assassination. A committee of three anarchists from the cell based at the White Eagle Saloon, or more specifically at the meeting hall on its second floor, had informed him that, quote, in three, in three days he would be killed like a rat, as the Oregonian put it, and that there was no way in which he could avoid his end. Lepaski apparently intended to spend his last 72 hours making as much trouble for the Polish expats of Portland as he possibly could. So he proceeded to spill some seriously alarming dope on the White Eagle regulars. Not only were they pistol-waving, bomb-throwing anarchists, but they had actually formed a plan to assassinate President Theodore Roosevelt, had actually picked a trigger man, and raised funds to send him to Washington to do the job. The next day in court, Lepaski was joined by a fellow Pole named Walter Salaskiewicz, I hope I pronounced that right, who claimed he'd gone to a Polish National Alliance meeting at the White Eagle on June 17th and been assaulted and had his watch stolen. Salaskiewicz had then gone to the police, who had raided the White Eagle and arrested several quote-unquote anarchists. At the hearing, Salaskiewicz also testified that a number of the arrestees were known anarchist activists who had traveled to Portland to help make trouble. And he reaffirmed Lepaski's claim that the PNA had planned to send an assassin, a fellow named, a fellow named John Perchevara, to kill the president. Again, hopefully I pronounced that right. Polish names are hard. All of this must have seemed very confusing to the average Portlander, reading the increasingly strident coverage about it in the newspapers. It had been less than three weeks since an anarchist had tried and failed to kill the king and queen of Spain by chucking a bomb at them after their wedding, splattering the queen's wedding dress with blood from the 65 innocent bystanders injured or killed in the blast. Anarchism was very much on the public's mind. And Portland's Polish quote-unquote anarchists at the White Eagle had now come to the attention not just of Portlanders but of the entire country. 
In the June 23rd issue of McClure's Magazine, the muckraking magazine famous for its brutal exposés of the Standard Oil and U.S. Steel Trusts, Portland was actually called out as, quote, becoming one of the worst centers of anarchy of Russian origin, producing a plot to kill the president late in May of this year. To understand what was happening in Portland during that hectic month, a little history is needed. The nation of Poland in 1906 existed only in the hearts and minds of its patriots. The country itself had been carved up like a Christmas ham in 1795 and annexed into the empires of Russia, Austria-Hungary, and Prussia. In the Russian portion, things got especially ugly, as the Tsar pursued policies that basically amounted to a war on Polish culture and identity, confiscations of property, closure of universities, forced Russification in primary schools, forced military service, and so forth. The result was that many of the Poles in America were not immigrants, but refugees. They had no interest in assimilating and becoming Americans. They needed a place to hang their hats and earn an honest living while making plans to take their country back. This made them a very unwelcome addition to the American Catholic Church, which had public relations problems of its own at the time. Half the country regarded Catholics as inherently seditious, since their primary loyalty was their critics charged to the Pope rather than to their country. So there was already great tension in the Polish-American community between assimilators and refugees. There was also clear evidence that Tsarist Russia was taking a strong interest in the refugee communities and had agent provocateurs in the field working to exploit those differences. And there's pretty good reason to suspect that Lepaski, he of the you're dead in three days claim, was just such an agent. According to the Chicago Polish community's magnificently named newspaper Robotnik, which is Polish for the worker, Lepaski had been the skipper of a Russian torpedo boat captured by the Japanese during the Russo-Japanese War and was a well-known agent of the Russian secret police. All of which seems to have been of considerable interest to a certain reporter at the Morning Oregonian. The paper never mentions his name but identifies him as having been born and raised in Russian Poland. This reporter, having watched the situation spiral out of control with a great deal of help from an overzealous agent of the U.S. Secret Service, talked his editor into letting him go down to the White Eagle to get the story straight. The resulting article, which was also run in the evening telegram, was like oil in troubled waters. Quote, Polish society not anarchistic, the headline read, adding, are merely socialists. Not sure how that headline would play today, but in 1906 it was very soothing. The article also made Lepaski's status as a suspected Russian spy clear, and also pointed out for the first time in print, so far as I have found, that Salaskovitz was the former president of the group he was denouncing, having been stripped of his rank and expelled from membership over disagreements about activism tactics. After that, the story faded quickly away. The Federal Secret Service agent, though he claimed to stand by his story of danger and anarchy, consistently refused to release any of the evidence he'd seized from the raid on the White Eagle, implying that it was too terrible and seditious for the public to be exposed to it. And no one seems to have bought that, but it served as a cover story for him, enabling him to save face while everybody got busy forgetting the whole thing had ever happened. Today, of course, the White Eagle Saloon is one of the McMenamin's properties, and it's one of the oldest taverns still in operation in Portland. One can sit at its gorgeous antique bar and nurse a glass of hammerhead knowing that one is sitting in the establishment that, for two wild and hectic weeks 115 years ago, was known as the hottest hotspot in the nation for the forces of terror and anarchy. With a story like that, who needs a bunch of made-up bunk about ghostly prostitutes and spooky toilet flushings? Key sources in this story included works by Tim Hills, 
and the archives of the Portland Daily Journal and Portland Morning Oregonian from June 1906. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. Check out our hub page at offbeatoregon.com to explore all the other things we do or to find full citations and visuals that go with today's show. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details of that, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Offbeat Oregon History episodes are uploaded every weekday morning at around 6 a.m., so it'll be a couple of days before you get your next fix. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day and the subsequent weekend with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.